0: Welcome, everybody. Hey, just immediately following uh, worship here at 1045 at 1150, we're going to be gathering in the upper lobby. We have a Fulton Heights vision meeting going on. So if you're curious about maybe what God has in store, Uh, for the Fulton Heights location and and, and what church is going to look like over there. 11.50 is your time in the upper lobby. We would love to hang out um, and share a little bit more about the vision for the serving teams, about your role, and and honestly, just to get to know some other people who are going to make that their church and worshiping home. Today, we're in part three of a series, uh, four-part series called Triggered. And what this series is about is really talking about those things that we're not supposed to talk about. And so we kicked it off. We talked about sex, dating, and intimacy. And then last week about heaven and hell and everything else we said. Uh, And then today we're talking, really we're talking about this. We're talking about money. And this is one of the things that honestly, in, in hearing from many of you, uh, let, the first week, week number one, when we talked about like sex, dating, and intimacy, some of you said, you know what, honestly, in, in my home, it was easier to talk about those things than it was to talk about these things. Like I got nothing at all whatsoever. Like we just didn't talk about it. And like what we heard growing up was that we shouldn't talk about it. And then that carried over into my friend groups. And we don't talk, we don't talk about it at work, we just don't talk about it. And the idea, the premise of this series is that when we don't talk about some things, pain and guilt and shame start to grow in those shadows. And so what this series is about is opening the lid on those things and casting God's amazing light onto those items so that we can talk about them and hear about God's grace in store for every area of life. And so I was thinking about like what it is and why we don't talk about it. And I think some of us, some of us have like this insecurity about this. Like, like maybe we don't have, or or we feel like we don't have enough of this. And that makes us makes us want to throw it in the shadows and hide it. Others of us, maybe there's um, past mistakes that were made with this that, that cause shame to start to accumulate around this, and so we don't want to talk about that either. But whatever it is, it pushes it into the shadows. And then, of course, shame, pain, guilt, all of these things tend to grow. If you grew up in a house that you did talk about this stuff at any level, maybe it was just when you were a kid and you got an allowance or maybe you did some chores around the house and you got a commission and then somebody set up for you, maybe your parents or somebody around set up for you these three jars and you would split it um, into one of these jars. There's the spend jar, there's the save jar, and there's the share jar. And I think that's nice because they all start with S's, which I like as as a preacher. Something happens when you grow up, though, and you're like, no, no, no this is now way more complicated. It's, it's way more difficult now as an adult than it was as a kid. And so what I like to do is push back on that humbly for just a minute because it has some different names, right? Like, like spending now is like a mortgage or rent or utility payments. Like, well, it's not just spend anymore. It's like these things. Savings like, has some letters and numbers attached to it, like a 401k, and that's all complicated and I don't know. And then sharing is like, I, I don't even know what that means. Um what I'd like to do this morning is to bring us back to this and say, really there's a lot of different titles and a lot of different names that we give these jars, but when it comes right down to it, really it 's the same thing it's the same three jars as an adult that maybe you had when you were a kid and so just kind of a quick overview, typically, we don't struggle too much with this with the spend jar. In fact, some of you might be sitting next to somebody who's like No, no, they really don't struggle with this one. It's probably a little bit too easy. Um, This one is a little bit harder, uh, but somebody helped me out uh, years ago early on um, when I was, like, struggling with this one and saying, like, listen, the save jar is really just the same thing as the spend jar. It's just that you're spending on future you. It's like, well, you like you, right? I'm like, I like me very much. I'm like, yeah, yeah, saving is just spending on future you. For whatever reason, that just really helped me. And so maybe like we just saved somebody's financial life right now. Like (laughs) saving is spending on future you. Write that down. Um, Today, though, we're going to talk about this one. We're going to talk about the share jar. Uh, Today, though, we're going to talk about this one because the way that God in the Bible talks about the share jar. It's like he believed the world is going to be changed because of what we do with this jar, the shared jar. And so we're going to get into this story in just a moment that I'd like to share with you. But but first, I want to give like a a couple of caveats. Uh, The first one is that this is not the, hey, church, we need to do better with this thing kind of message. This is not, in fact, about encounter church. In fact, when we're talking about this jar, I'd encourage you, if it helps you to to see and experience God more clearly, I'd encourage you not to even think about this church or really any church when it comes to sharing. We are talking about the principles of generosity in general, across the the whole. Um, So it's not the, we need to do better message. Um, This is is a time, though, for us to acknowledge, as we hear uh, from Paul in the Bible in Corinthians, that this is a time and we acknowledge we're one body, church. That's the image that, that Paul gives us. And it seems a little bit cliche, but earlier on I was working uh, with a, a, a nail and hammer and I just, the thing came down right on my thumb and it just, the, the you know metal from the hammer connecting with my thumb. Yikes, extraordinary pain just coursing through my whole body. My whole body did at that moment whatever it would take to alleviate the suffering of just one part. And so if church, if we are one body, I need to tell you that if there is a part of our body that is suffering, we are all hurting. And so on the website, encounterchurch.org, there's a a space, there's a tab uh, for you to ask for help. It's just to put up the flag and we want to connect with you. Because it is not acceptable for one part of our whole body to hurt and and for the rest of the body to not be aware of it. And as we get into this, the last one is that we're going to talk of the tangible expression, we're talking about money. But this thing could, could be any kind of generosity. We talk about money in terms of treasure. Sometimes we talk about generosity in terms of your gifts and your talents, your abilities. Other times we talk about generosity as it relates to your time, which for some of you is maybe the most precious commodity that you have. We're going to go to a story in the biblical book of 2 Corinthians. It is a letter. It's not even the second letter. It's probably the fourth letter that Paul wrote back and forth with the church in Corinth. Uh, But it's the second one that we have. So it's called 2 Corinthians. And what we're going to see is interesting, probably the first recorded fundraiser in history which is kind of interesting to look at this from a historical perspective. What has gone on is that the Jesus movement has just taken flight, and it was just growing rapidly. It starts in the epicenter of Jerusalem, where Jesus did a huge amount of his ministry. His death and resurrection happened near Jerusalem, and then it grows out from there. And it was starting to, to reach other continents, in fact, and that's where Paul was. But what happened way back in Jerusalem, where they're, where they're developing and training and deploying leaders out of the epicenter of faith in Jerusalem for the Christians living in Jerusalem, life began to get really difficult. You see, Jerusalem is a city that's primarily comprised of Jewish men and women with Roman overlords. And when those Jewish men and women say, You know what, we've been talking about the Messiah for a long time, we believe that he came and that we killed him, and then he rose from the dead, and the promise of his gospel is that we will too. That did not gain them any friends in the Jewish community. And so suddenly, these people that would start to put their hope and their faith in the Messiah that they believed came. would will see fewer people showing up to their restaurants, fewer people showing up to their businesses, fewer people asking for their services, So economically, it started getting very, very difficult for them. At the same time, they still have these Roman overlords in and through the city. As they started talking about believing that there were two kingdoms, that there was this whole other kingdom that's not of this world, it did not gain them many friends with their Roman overlords. As they started referring to each other in the community as brother and sister, it was weird as they started talking about eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ, their Savior, as they started talking about how God came to earth and died, the Romans also just started backing up. Economically, it became very difficult for the Christian believers in Jerusalem. And so Paul sends a letter on ahead of him to an extraordinarily, I'm going to say comfortable, because we all know what that means, church in the city of Corinth. And he sends this letter to the Rich Church, and he says, I'm coming through, and we're gonna participate in a fundraiser, a campaign to help them out. First time likely in history that a a fundraiser had taken place simply to alleviate the suffering of another group of people outside of the country, a world away. Uh, Governments did this, they raised taxes, other organizations did this, but this kind of free will type offering and fundraiser had never been seen before, and so Paul is writing this letter ahead of time. He goes, I'm just passing through Corinth, and I want you to have a gift prepared so that we don't have to like, start this whole process and campaign when I get there. At the same time, what I don't want you to have prepared is a giant guilt check waiting for me that's essentially paying me off for not having to talk about it so, we've got to find some kind of a middle ground here as I, as I pass through. And this is what that looks like, church. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we have God's wisdom spelled out for us. Let's read it together. 2 Corinthians 9, uh, starting here in verse 6. And he goes, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I see here that we're offering some financial pieces of wisdom kind of a play on the financial piece because a lot of us don't have financial peace we have financial pieces it's a wreck and so this is god's financial pieces of wisdom financial piece of wisdom number one is we have this principle of generosity this principle of of giving generously when we talk about this jar the language that's used financial piece number one is that it should not be a small jar it should be a pretty good-sized jar. How big should the jar be? I mean, I'm asked that all the time. How? What proportion should this jar be to the other jars? Some of you, especially if you if you grew up in church, uh, or maybe if you're a student of the Old Testament, you just read through the Bible, you would be familiar with the Old Testament practice of. Tenthing, or, or that's the Hebrew word, tithing. It's just giving a tenth of everything that you have coming in, giving a, a tenth of that away. If some of you have also maybe heard from talking to other people or, or just read through the New Testament that the New Testament authors never speak positively of the Old Testament practice of tenthing, of, of tithing, of giving away 10% of everything that's, that, that comes in. And I just think that I think that's so fascinating. As kind of the the idea that you have leading through the New Testament is like there's a there's a different set of rules, instructions, guidelines, whatever you want to call it. It's just it seems like there's this whole different world in operation, a world marked by grace. And so, a world marked by grace. I mean, we can we can shrink that then, right? Because grace abounds i love what one author uh, dr timothy keller he writes about this and he says the old testament saints were a blessed people uh they had the law on sinai they had moses they had the wilderness experience with the manna signs they had a lot they were a blessed people new testament believers on the other hand are so extravagantly blessed because in addition in addition to the law And the prophets that God gave in the Old Testament, New Testament Christian believers, we have the literal body of Christ, God wrapped around with skin on him, who came and lived as one of us. And then he taught us how to live. Like if the Old Testament people were a blessed people, New Testament believers are so extravagantly blessed in comparison to everything that we have. And so he writes, why? Why would we ever think that because we're so much more blessed as believers today, that God would ask us to be so much less generous with that blessing? Another commentator on this passage, uh, D.A. Carson, writes about this. He goes, it seems like conversations around, I'm paraphrasing now, this jar, it seems like conversation around this jar seem to be about how small can we make it and like still kind of get away what if we're not searching for the floor what if we're not searching just to find the floor what if we are exploring the ceiling and everything that god could do with that if that's the bigger point behind it all paul throughout his um his writings he employs a certain principle a certain law it applies in like more places than you think. As I as I start to ponder it and mull it over, it, it's so helpful. Uh, it, it's the law of the harvest. Some of you aren't um, aren't greens type farming people. I'm not, but I do know that you pick what you plant. You reap what you sow. I would be surprised if I went to the store and I bought a packet of tomato seeds, and I put those seeds into the ground, I'd be surprised if later on, what develops, what grows as a result is a set of zucchinis. Because of the law of the harvest, you pick what you plant. Now, Paul, he employs this principle several times. In Galatians, it's a what. You pick what you plant. And in Galatians, he says, listen, if what you are sowing, if what are you planting is, is hatred, is anger, is discord, like a harvest is coming and you're going to have to bite into that fruit. It might be bitter to the taste. And we should not be surprised. You pick what you plant. You reap what you sow. On the other hand, in Galatians, Paul says that there's this thing as the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're planting love and joy and peace, think about this in in the political climate, if you're planting gentleness, right? At some point, there's a harvest that comes in, and you'll have to to pick. You'll have to bite into that fruit fruit that you've been planting for so long, and there's a possibility it could be bitter. There's also a possibility it could be sweet to the taste. You pick what you plant. Here, as it relates to the collection he's taking up and to the jar we have in front of us, he's saying it's not just a what, it's also a how much, it's a quantity. If you take one, from the packet of seeds, and you tuck it into the ground. If you are a remarkable farmer, you will have one plant that will come up. If, on the other hand, he's writing, if I come through and I see and I experience that you've just been sowing, if you've been scattering, if you have been planting over and over and over again, generously, the harvest that come in is likely more Than one plant, it's more, maybe even, than you can count. It's it's the law of the harvest. You pick what you plant. That's one financial piece. Uh, Verse 7, he's got another one for you. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. This one, even if you are not a Jesus person, even if you are watching this online, or somebody promised to buy you lunch afterwards, it doesn't matter if you're not a, if you're a Jesus person or not. There is so incredibly much wisdom for how we live our lives. This this is going to be um, this is going to be a wise statement. You just get your pens ready because this is going to be gold right here. Everybody, listen. Everybody lives on a percentage of their income. That's deep, right? I can tell by the way many of you didn't write that down that you know it's deep. You're like, I will always remember that forever. No, it's not. It's obvious. We know that, right? Everybody lives on a percentage of their income. What percent? Like, some people know Others aren't aren't quite so sure, but whether you know it or not, everybody lives on a percentage of income. The prevailing wisdom in the world today is that you ought to live on about 100% of your income so that these jars... Should be, should be filled to the max and have nothing left over. That means no margin whatsoever, 100%. And then something happens, and then the car breaks down, or the refrigerator starts leaking water out of the bottom, like whatever it is, and suddenly you don't live on 100% of your income anymore. You live on like 110% of your income, and that's where trouble sets in. I'm telling you, <laughs> anger Frustration, discord, rage, hatred, these things come quickly afterwards. Some people have a way of living on not 100 or even 90, on far less than that. But the point is, and then there's margin that's created, and your life is better as a result. But, but the point is, of why Paul mentions that, is that someone, whether it's you or someone else, would be happy to decide that percentage for you. I'm telling you, right now, somewhere in the world, there is a marketing team meeting happening, probably over Zoom, that would love to decide what your percentage is for you, that you live on. Somewhere this week, you're gonna bump into a salesperson who would love to decide what your percentage is for you. The government would love to decide what your percentage is for you. You've got a broke cousin who might contact you this week who would love to decide what your percentage is for you. And Paul is laying out here and he's going, listen, don't, don't, don't let your cousin decide. Don't let the salesperson or the marketing team decide. I mean, the government, like you can vote, I guess, but like there's there's some influence that they have. But like do whatever you can not to let someone else decide. You decide. You decide ahead of time. When it comes to the jars, you actually get to decide what happens. Decide in your heart. Don't do it alone. You don't have to involve the entire community and minimum pray about it, but make a decision that you decide. And you decide what comes first. You get to do that. counter Church, we decided. As just as a reminder, I want to share it with you as much as you can. Uh, every dollar that we receive as a church, 10% goes outside our walls and windows. It wasn't much at first. It's much more now. Uh, 10% goes to help feed food insecure families, help dig wells and people suffering, uh, from unclean water around the world. We actually have um, a grant, a pool right now that we could use your help with. Uh, Encounterschurch.org slash love where we live. Uh, We set $30,000 aside from the Further Faster campaign because we want to come into Fulton Heights community as a blessing to boldly declare that we are here, that God is here to love them to death and back. As so you can go to the website slash uh, Love Where We Live. You can nominate an organization changing lives, an agency changing lives. And the grants that could be distributed in the new year uh, do that today. We decided as a church. We decided to put this one first. And our community is not the same. The communities that we live is not the same. Okay, Uh, generously, the size of the jar, decidedly having a plan for refilling the jar. um, Twist my arm, right? Like, fine, okay, it's in the Bible. I guess I'll have to do it. No. No, I didn't even finish the sentence from verse 7. Listen to the rest of verse seven sentence. Uh, So give what you decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion that nobody makes you, for God loves, this is God's, a cheerful give her. I just imagine, I'm just picturing someone, a couple, maybe a couple of roommates, housemates living together, and they're parked in the parking lot ahead of coming into church, and they're like five minutes early, so they've got just a, a minute to kill in the parking lot, and they just, they look at each other, and they exchange a knowing glance, knowing because they know what the other person is thinking. The glance that looks over is I don't think I have anything else to give. I think I'm running on empty. See, gifts given, and whether it's financial, whether it's a, a talent or an ability, whether it's your time, gifts given out of compulsion, out of like a, a, a sense of a debt to pay, those kind of gifts are often the most expensive in terms of the toll that they take. And I can't like explain this with math, but some of you who have been around for long enough, you know that that just like when you're operating in an area where there's just like this obligation or debt to pay, it's like an hour isn't just an hour, is it? That hour seems to last an eternity. And if you're giving because somebody is like coercing you or like twisting your arm, you've probably experienced that too. And if you're giving, maybe it's that broke cousin, and you're just like paying them to go away. When you're giving to that, a dollar doesn't seem so much like a dollar. It feels like a hundred or a hundred thousand. It just, it seems like more. At the same time, a gospel-based act of generosity, when you're operating in that place where you're giving and you're serving and your heart just comes alive, I'm telling you, an hour goes by like that. When you're operating in this place where you just, you love showing up, and you love the people that you serve, and you love the people that you serve with. I'm telling you, even if there's a financial gift employed, a dollar doesn't seem like so much anymore. It kind of seems, again, like the law of the harvest. You pick what you plant. You reap what you sow. It speaks to a theology of generosity. And I just invite you to consider what's yours. What's your theology as it relates to generosity? Do you believe that there's only so much, and if you give away a little bit of it, it's a little bit less that you have to live on? Or do you believe that when you give it away, somehow there's a multiplier effect at work? If you're looking for a takeaway on this, what you keep is often what you have. When you keep this seed in your pocket, that's all you tend to get is just the seed. But when you take that seed, you give it away into the ground. And when you scatter it over the ground, what you have given to God multiplies. Again, my friends, it is the law of the harvest. This jar right here, it's a generous jar. There's a plan to refill the jar. And everything that comes out of this jar, we feel great about and connected to God as a result. And then what happens is verse eight. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The the point is the abounding. The point is the abounding in every good work. The point is that this jar changes the world and it starts with changing you. The point is the good work and what God is gonna do for you through you but through along the way in the process you will have all that you need and this is the part of the harvest this is the part that like math somehow like falls short and fails because i've been around a little bit and i've seen this play out in the most strange way imaginable but like people who participate in this and says this jar is going to come first they're changed And it's not like all of a sudden a check shows up the next day and makes everything better again. No, no, no. Sometimes that happens, but that's not normal. That's not what God, that's not what Paul is saying here, but he is saying that he's going to meet your needs. When you're like looking at your roommate or looking at your spouse in the parking lot and saying, whatever organization I'm in the parking lot of, I don't know if I have anything left to give. You can hear these words echo and resound in your heart. He will meet all of your needs. He will meet all of your needs. He will meet your needs. And the strangest thing happens. Your heart changes. Your passions change. I've seen people's hobbies change. People have said, I never thought this would be me before ever in my life. But I started couponing for the first time in my life. It changed where I shop. It changed the things that I looked at online and yearned for. I fell in love with old beat-up cars. I don't know why it doesn't make sense, but you know the truth about old beat-up cars is they're cheap. They're so cheap. People almost give them away, but I just I love them. and I've never had a car payment in my life. Like I've seen people be changed by this principle: having all that you need. And if I'm if I want to be honest, I'm gonna be honest with you. Sometimes we're bumped up with this thing. And God is speaking to us, and there's like a decision point to get made. So I remember one time I was a college student, I was at a Christian concert, and I don't know who the band was, but I know that it was Christian because. It was like the compassion international pitch like in the middle of it you guys know what i'm talking about they throw a picture up on the screen of this like adorable child and saying like this child needs you to help and like funny kind of jokes aside i mean i was caught and convicted and i'm sitting in this in this concert and i'm watching like the pitch happen out in front of me in church the holy Spirit just got a hold of me Sometimes you you walk with God for a while. You start to notice his voice, his His tug. And this was happening to me. Oh, was it happening? And I'm like, I got to do this. I had a part-time job at the time. I got to do this. I'm ready to do it. And I saw the cost. And at the time, it was like 20 bucks a month. And I didn't do it. I still think about that. Looking back, I don't think that I didn't do it because it was a greed thing. I think I didn't do it because it was a fear thing. I didn't do it because I wanted to have more in my charge. I didn't do it because I was afraid that my needs wouldn't be met and I wasn't willing to step out on that ledge called faith. And I don't know how he's going to meet your needs. In whatever capacity you're thinking about emptying this jar on, or maybe filling this jar, I don't know how he's going to meet your needs. And I can't give you that. But if you're resonating with this and you're saying, yeah, I don't think it's a greed thing. I think for me, maybe it's a trust thing. Can I trust him? I'm just going to share this with you. that God went first. John 3.16 says that out of God's deep love for the world that he made, he cheerfully, joyfully, out of love, generously decided to give his one and only son that the world would never be the same when you experience God asking you to step out on that ledge, whatever that might look like for you. I don't know how he's going to meet your emotional need, your spiritual need, maybe even your physical need, but I do know we serve a God who gave first. And so God, out of a response to your generosity towards us, we accept your grace, we accept your forgiveness. God, we pray that as we think about what this could look like in our lives, that you, you show us your will, you show us your way. Most of all, maybe Lord, you show us your heart and you show us that you are a God who can be trusted no matter what. That even then, even when we don't know the how, you show us the who. God, show us the way this morning. Show us your way forward. Jesus, it's in your name we pray.